Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and today I am delighted and excited again because I have with me Nicole Moore. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Marion. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. So Nicole is an international facilitator and trainer of birth into being, which she's going to explain all about today. And we've known each other for many years. I think we met maybe about 15, 16 years ago. We're pretty sure that we met through Elimination Communication or Nappy Free, which is some of the really important work that you helped bring into the world. So it kind of began there. Do you want to share a bit more about that process and about the nappy free work that you did? Yeah, well, I think you and I were one of a very small collective of people who were practicing elimination communication or nappy free. And it tied in so perfectly with all the kind of awareness that we were both bringing in through our births and early parenting practices. For me, I found Nappy Free to be absolutely amazing in that it gave another option of recognising a need. Oh, yeah, they actually just need to eliminate. And, of course, they unlearn that communication if you don't respond. But if you do respond, uh, it sets up this fabulous communication loop that you then kind of perpetuate every time you recognise that their communication is around an elimination need. It's quite fascinating. And, yeah, I went on to make a film about that uh, because I loved it so much. I was, like, talking about it incessantly and just thrilled with the whole process and the depth of what it offered to our parenting journey. It went far beyond the fact that we weren't washing so many cloth nappies. All the benefits were so much more and so much around meeting the child's real needs and yeah so I think that's why we connected on it so deeply because I was also fascinated and very much immersed in trying to listen to my children's needs as babies yes yeah, and reading all of Aletha's books oh, and yay so wonderful yes I'm actually remembering now that I did learn about it and I'm really wondering I wonder if it was from you aware that I learned about EC nappy free when my daughter was eight months old so I started with her when she was eight months and I started with my son from birth and it was really interesting to see what a difference that was having already you know just had no idea about that but the minute I learned about it I was like oh my gosh this is what I've been looking for and I think so much both aware parenting and nappy free and all the other work you're doing I think we're both so passionate about really reclaiming all these innate we could say indigenous practices that have been around for millennia you know nappies you will be able to share about this far more accurately than I am but nappies and so on being really relatively recent and just that deep connection and understanding and communication with babies that really is so innate to who we are as human beings mm. innate is the operative word because yeah humankind didn't have nappies, diapers for eons. And we used what we now call attachment parenting practices to meet the needs of our babies. So, yeah, it's about kind of like relearning all of those things in a modern context and adapting them to how it can fit into modern life. 
Yeah. I was living in the bush when I was doing that practice. So and when I made the film, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's fine, you know, if you live in the bush. But actually, we were on rainwater and stuff like that. And it's not like you never have misses. You have plenty of misses. So you have plenty of washing. It might not just be a nappy that you're washing. It might be your skirt or <laughs> the rag that you cleaned it up with. But yeah, it's definitely adaptable to a modern context. And I have since then worked with lots of people uh, in, in a more urban setting doing the practices and really benefiting from bringing this innate behaviours into their parenting. And what I love about it is that the idea of saving washing or saving money on disposable nappies uh, might be a gateway. It's a gateway drug for other attachment parenting practices and other levels of consciousness that people can bring into their parenting. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so much part of, isn't it, as well, to be really compassionate with ourselves that we might be the first generation doing something like this, EC as well as aware parenting and all the other things you're sharing about for many, many generations. And I'm remembering as you're sharing as well in terms of bringing it into modern life and being compassionate with ourselves about maybe sometimes how hard that can be and celebrating myself that I did that on international flights from Australia back to England and back doing EC and also then going back to where I come from which is really kind of quite urban and finding you know being out and about and finding little places of nature to to support that process anyway so that's you're having me having so many lovely memories in our conversation before as well so many memories about those days so we have similar age children you want to share also how old your son so my son will be 21 in September and my daughter has just recently turned 18 yeah so really yeah. Similar ages such an amazing journey isn't it to be now at this stage and to be still sharing and supporting people with parenting and all the things that you're going to be sharing about so do you want to share how you went from of course still sharing about nappy free and really supporting people and the film that you made into birth into being and your deep focus on this work mm. and what birth into being is as well of course <laughs> I had amazing home births with my children and was very very passionate about sharing about that because I you know like you say I came from a world where I didn't know that many people who had had home births. And then I found myself in that world, fortunately, when I was pregnant. And and all the women, so I lived on community for a very long time, and all of the women in my sphere had had home births. So it was a no-brainer that we would be able to do that too. And, and so that felt amazing and very, very supportive on a, the level of consciousness. Whereas whenever I phoned my mother or my grandmother and my sister, who's a doctor, uh, there wasn't that level of support or understanding. And so having had really wonderful births with both of my children in an off-grid setting and feeling all that sort of, you know, very again, innate behaviours of the community around me, the way I felt so supported and loved and guided by the other families. So I felt sad that the whole rest of the world um, didn't seem to know about the benefits of home birth 
And I thought, well, I'll tell them. So I researched all the birth films that were out there and I came across Birth As We Know It. Birth As We Know It was made by Elena Tanetti Vladimirova, who is the founder of the Birth Into Being Method. And Birth As We Know It is an absolutely iconic birth film that introduces concepts like conscious birth and conscious conception, uh, how to have mindfulness in your pregnancy. It brings in a lot of awareness of the experience of the unborn child. It talks about the healing journey of the parents being an integral part of the journey and probably best to undertake before conception, if at all possible. Uh, it talks about the transformation that's available to us through pregnancy and, you know, all the different invitations to kind of, you know, heal from the past and, and let go of what Elena calls the debris of the past in order to be the best parent that you can be and to bring your baby in in a way that is gentle and loving and kind and potentially without any physical hiccups as well because, you know, we all know that the mainstream perception of birth is that it's extremely painful and it involves lots and lots of suffering, pain, and it's actually like a life-threatening illness almost. And Birth As We Know It presents a very different picture and so when I found that film, I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to make a film now about home birth and why people should choose to explore their options other than the mainstream. Uh, and I, I loved the film so much. And just like the millions of people who have seen that film, I watched it on repeat. I showed it to all my friends. I had screenings in my lounge room. And there were specific scenes, which you and I were talking about before we got on, Marion, that are so mind-blowing. And one of them is when – so so this film documents the, almost like the advent of water birth. So there wasn't a lot of video documentation in the actual beginnings. That We only have a few photographs of the first water births in people's lounge rooms and things in Moscow. But – one of them is a, a scene where Tatiana Sagunas, one of the Russian midwives who was aligned with um, Igor Tchaikovsky, who had come up with this concept of, you know, from the waters of the womb to the waters of the world and that giving birth in water would be less impactful than giving birth on land. And so what this scene that is so incredible is where you're seeing through a perspex tub, the baby is crowning, like really crowning. And you think, whoa, that's intense. And there's this beautiful, epic sort of soundtrack to it. And you think, whoa, there's the baby. It's nearly out. And then the camera tilts up and you see Tatiana smiling beatifically at her children, nodding at them. And she's talking, saying something. And you think, how is that possible? How can a woman be so calm while she's giving birth? How can she be caring for her other children when there is a head halfway out of her vagina? And so it, that film just opens up so many doorways in our consciousness. Another amazing scene is children diving off rocks and 
jumping into crystal clear waters where they swim with dolphins. Little children. And, you know, it's another one of those things where you think, how is this possible? There is footage of women birthing in the Black Sea. It is absolutely amazing. There's something like 11 births in that film. And, of course, they've been edited and there is, you know, an element of the the unreal in some ways, but they're all real women giving birth in these settings. You have to edit them or else you don't have a film. You know, you, you just have hours and hours of footage. So, yeah, so I watched that film mm. after my already wonderful births and was just like, this is incredible. I don't need to make the film that I was thinking about anymore. And I, unfortunately, I still haven't. But it's the way I like to think of it is that it's just having a very long gestation. One day that film will be born and it will be amazing. Uh, but in the meantime, I got completely swept up in Birth Into Being because at some point Elena came to Australia. I hosted her for a week on my community and we had a weekend workshop, but I got to hang out with her for a whole week. And yeah, we have been in cahoots ever since. She's a really wonderful friend and an incredible mentor. And I am forever blessed to have found myself in her slipstream. And I am more than honored to be carrying her work forward in the world. Oh, wow. Nicole, it's just, I feel so touched hearing that story. Cause I, yeah, I haven't really heard it in that way before. And I'd love to hear more and for you to share more with the listeners like what happened next but I did also want to share because it was so significant for me and I suddenly when we were talking before pressing record and I suddenly remembered oh my gosh I watched that back I think it was even I'm seeming to remember it was even a VHS it wasn't even DVD preparing for giving birth both times I trained as a hypnobirthing instructor before the birth of my daughter and was planning for a free birth and was as I do completely obsessed with doing all the research and like you was looking everywhere and found this and I as you said I watched that over and over again and particularly that birth with Tatiana and I even remembered her name when you said it as well because I remember going on the very young internet at the time trying to find out bits about her and finding little pieces and I, I really remember as well you know when she looked up you said she talked about her looking up and I remember her just nodding and saying yes to, to was it, I think it was two children wasn't it maybe like a toddler yes. and a slightly older child and yep. I just in terms of really aiming to change my imprints around birth I just watched that over and over and over and over just hundreds of times probably as well as one of the other ones as well but it was so powerful so I just mm. love that the kind of little bit of shared experience there so yeah and you're not alone millions of people have watched that film and had their consciousness around birth uh changed the other scene that is absolutely iconic in that film is the rolling orgasms of amber who's giving birth to her baby in the water and that also was it's a little bit <laughs> in the birth world it's a little bit like when the astronauts went up and took pictures of the earth from the moon you know in terms of showing that orgasmic birth is real this is not a myth orgasmic birth is a possibility it 
is undeniable in that scene, what is happening for her, the the bliss realms that she is travelling in, it is written all over her face and the camera is right there. So there can be no more question about whether or not birth can be pleasurable. We have now seen it with our eyes and that footage has been used in many other films since. But, yeah, I, as a filmmaker, I get very excited by films like that that change consciousness. And, yeah, it was what drew me to hosting Elena when she came to Australia. And then once I'd met her and, yeah, like I said, we're firm friends, in cahoots, utterly and completely now. (laughs) So beautiful. I love, love, love that. So do you want to share a little bit about what Birth Into Being actually is so that people can Mm. have a sense of it? Yeah, so Birth Into Being operates on the premise that our limbic system is the part of our brain that develops first. I was just looking to the side because I prepared to show this picture, but then I've just realised that we're not showing pictures. But this is an image from the book A Child is Born by Lenart Nielsen. The images are available on the internet. You can look them up. Do you know that's another book? Well, actually, he has another one too, doesn't he, that I just also looked at a lot during my pregnancies Mm. so incredible well this a child is born has had many many different publications and so I have a few different copies but this is the one I love because it's it's a big giant hardcover full color book and these these images just like the pictures of the earth uh, from the moon were on time magazine and they all these images also changed the trajectory of humans' belief about babies and about what their experience in utero is. Yes. But in this particular image, we can see the spinal cord developing and going all the way up into so this is a five-week-old embryo going all the way up where we can see the beginnings of the limbic system here in the brain. So birth into being operates on the premise that the limbic system develops first in the brain structure and as such it is the sort of primary brain structure of our being. Our entire nervous system, our entire experience is based upon the formation of that limbic system. So, of course, while we are in utero and that is happening you know, very, very fast from moment to moment, we're creating neural pathways. So from the very beginning, we are creating neural pathways that are being formed in our brain while we are in utero. And so this limbic system, even though our culture prefers to operate from the cortex, our limbic system is actually the boss of our brain. It is actually the primary sort of operating system of our being. And so birth into being as a philosophy and as a healing modality operates from the premise that the imprints in our limbic system that were formed from the very beginnings of our life are actually malleable and plastic and we can work with them and so what we do is create new imprints for our limbic system 
that would perhaps better serve who and what we are trying to do in our life today. So when we have had formative periods in utero, during birth itself, our early years of life, if we weren't brought into the world gently with love and care and we didn't feel safe and we haven't been gifted with the ability to trust through the parenting that we received, it's not too late. We can create imprints that serve us. And that's the premise of the birth into being method. And we have 40 odd processes that we can pull out of a hat in a workshop setting or in private one-to-one work. I work online now as well, just like everyone, <laughs> to help people to create new imprints that would better serve who they are. So it, it ties in perfectly with aware parenting because one of the things that I discovered in my aware parenting journey was that sometimes it was challenging to give that which I had not received. Yes, and that that is true for birth, it's true for parenting, it's true for any kind of relationship, even a friendship or a work situation. Yes. So, so the wonderful thing about being able to work with our imprints, it means that anything is possible. And I really like to think about this work in the context of our ecological selves and our ecological crisis because I feel like you know humanity that got us into this situation where we've been ignoring the news for the last 40 years we've been ignoring the 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 science because of us our disconnection it is imperative like beyond imperative that we change that and yes we can change that for the people that have coming in through our birth practices and providing them with imprints of love and trust and safety so that they can work together. But we also need to do it for ourselves because we have no time to waste. And so, yeah, that's the kind of like social context of why this work is urgent, but it's also urgent for every individual out there who's hurting and deserves to be happy and held. Yes, happy and held. Ah, oh, yes, 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 yes. Mm. Wow. So there's a lot, and it's a bit dangerous to give me free reign, Marion. I could talk forever. <laughs> of course you could, because you've got so many years of experience here. It's tricky, isn't it, when you have that to condense it down and to share in such a, a short form. You know what I love nowadays about podcasts? There's so many podcasts who are like two and three hours, and I think probably the need to start doing more of those actually <laughs> especially for yeah. topics like this I love that yeah. you're making a series yes that's what I thought was more about how birth affects babies like yes. it's as I said to you <laughs> it is my favorite topic yes, yes. But, <laughs> and babies and adults that's for me but the whole topic is like everybody how <laughs> it affects everybody including as you talk about that biggest picture I think it's so vital so I agree with you Mm, do you want to share before we move on to the next piece do you have like an example that you could pull out of a hat maybe that might be through your own lived experience or through people that you've worked with that you would be happy to share and maybe yeah just of an adult who 
has had some profound healing from their birth experience and maybe in particularly as well if it's someone who is going a mother going on to give birth for example is there something like that that perhaps you could give an example of what kinds of things can happen for people is that yeah so when we think about imprints there's a phenomena which midwives and birth workers would know about and it probably comes up in aware parenting as well where there's like a sort of a generational there's a generational imprint where women can find themselves repeating the same patterns in either in their pregnancies or in the births experience itself so often even if the birth doesn't play out exactly the same there'll be like an echo or a like an energetic imprint that's the same so it might not be exactly the same type of emergency but it might be the emergency arises at the same time like say 38 weeks or when labor first begins or things like that so that's that's a common phenomena that the birth into being method can kind of help with like a pattern interrupt so in the previous interview which i was listening to today with was it Nora? Roma. Close. Roma, yes. <laughs> uh, so in that, she was talking about how in her first pregnancy, she had some sort of a, a pattern re-emerging of her own early birth. So she was premature. Then in her first pregnancy, at the same period of time, 32 weeks, I think it was, she got you know, like an early start of labour. And I think that didn't eventuate. But then when it happened again in her second pregnancy, she had to really work with her body and work with that level of awareness to say to herself, to her physiological self, this is an imprint, this does not need to be our reality. So when we learn about birth imprints, it gives us like a doorway I often use that catch line that birth is a doorway to deep healing because when we learn to look at our birth experiences and sort of read them uh, it helps us when we're pregnant and giving birth ourselves to recognize those patterns and and we can also do that with our lives you know like we reflect on like well what are the patterns that are emerging in my relationships or how do I cope with change how do you know what is it like when I move house what's my relationship with time is another one which I have had to explore a lot I have a chronic illness called lateness and I've had to explore where that fits with my birth and not only is it the obvious one is that, you know, I was eventually induced because I wasn't coming in the time frame that was deemed necessary by the medical people at the time. So there's not only that, but it's the, the relationship to stress and panic and overwhelm. So I think my lateness is a little bit connected to my cortisol addiction and my cortisol addiction began in utero. Uh, because my mother was experiencing quite high cortisol spikes. Her marriage was on the rocks, but she was pregnant with her second child. And so that, 
you know, we call it the uncomfortable comfort zone. Just because something's uncomfortable, it doesn't mean it's not a comfort zone. And yeah, so there, there's an example of like I tend to replicate these situations of having cortisol spikes and I do it around time. All my friends will tell you I am chronically late and then I arrive in a flap and that is my uncomfortable comfort zone. Yes. And when I make all the efforts, you know, when something's very important and I make all the efforts to be there on time, I can watch myself try to sabotage that. Like, oh, I'll just whack on a load of washing. <laughs> oh, I can't decide what shoes or, you know, like it's ridiculous how entrenched it is. And so then when I develop that relationship with my birth imprints, my pregnancy imprints, my my in utero experiences, I can kind of step back from it a bit and be a bit more objective and, and work with it a little bit more and, and see, ah, oh, <laughs> here we go again. I'm faffing when I should be leaving or you know, things like, so I have a clock in the kitchen that is a battery-operated clock. So things like that, you know, watching it get out of sync with, for example, my mobile phone and not doing anything about it because then I can have that experience of getting in the car and going, oh, no, it's five minutes later than I thought it was. Now I have to rush. Oh, goody. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's really interesting. So, yeah, so in imprints and and awareness of imprints create change just by opening up your consciousness to how those birth experiences and early life experiences have impacted your nervous system what is your uncomfortable comfort zone and yeah there's lots of processes we can do about it but even just awareness is an incredible first step Yes, it reminded me of that original, the original term, the repetition compulsion. Was that Freud or was it Young? I'm thinking it was Freud, but such a powerful thing, isn't it? As we increasingly mm. start to see that, that, that exact, that repetition compulsion. Oh, I'm doing it again. Oh, this, this is a little bit familiar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And also when people are doing that in relationships, you know, like, Yeah. Yes, it can be incredibly painful, can't it? Incredibly excruciatingly painful. Like, oh my gosh. And often I think before we find this, I don't know about you, before I realized this many, many years ago, it was more like, you know, why is this happening to me? Which of course would have been our original experience as babies in utero being born. But actually that shift, as you say, in the, even just having the awareness that actually this in a way isn't so much happening to us, although you could say it is in terms of it's an unconscious process, but that actually there's something so much more than that. And actually we can engage in this and we can exactly as you say, heal and change that dynamic. It's an invitation, isn't it? An invitation for healing. Yeah, absolutely. And also the, the other thing that I'd like to bring up in relation to birth and how awareness of imprints can really help to positively influence a birth is that if a woman has like primary settings, like a limbic imprint of being unsafe, if she can do some work around that and feel safe, then the cervix opens with so much more ease 
and it greatly, greatly, you know, without picking specific details of a story, but it greatly reduces the likelihood of interventions. So if somebody is moving towards a physiological birth and that's their choice and that's the direction that they're aspiring to, doing inner work to feel safety and trust and having a positive relationship with the unknown is a very primal early life experience. But if you can work with that, then as you move into birth and the strong sensations start to come and that the physiology can kind of unfold as it's meant to, as it's designed to, without unnecessary interventions. And, of course, there's still the over culture factors of like you know are you in a place that invites safety and trust but sometimes you can be in a place that invites safety and trust but you still don't feel it so it's not just preparing for our births it's not just about getting all the outward pieces in place it's very much an inner inside job yes and of course, so relevant for aware parenting as well, because our babies, once they're born, are also really picking up on our emotional state. And if we, uh, of course, with those younger parts of those baby parts of us are so often getting activated when we're with our baby. I know you know this, that if we are wanting to be really deeply connected and to be attuned to the needs and, of course, listen to their feelings from the aware parenting perspective, that's going to make a huge difference in terms of actually how safe we feel, how relaxed we feel in our bodies, how we feel when a baby's communicating that they either have a need or that they have some feelings to communicate possibly about their birth or their birth trauma that they're trying to heal from. So that as well also has a huge effect, doesn't it, in terms of practicing aware parenting with a baby or totally. a child. <laughs> totally. It's yeah, there's a beautiful, beautiful synchronicity between the birth into being work and aware parenting. And so much, yeah, like the fullness of understanding that you can offer your child when you have met those parts of yourself is amazing. So touching, isn't it? And so much more, as you say, than cognitively, because I, I know so often with aware parenting, for example, so many people come into it and they so resonate and they're really wanting to listen. And yet, of course, our babies are not only picking up on what we want for them and what we have cognitively, but actually exactly what's going on for us in our bodies. And so that's so often so much a core part of the journey practicing where parenting is actually attending to what's coming up for us, particularly if a baby has particular control patterns or ways of suppressing or dissociating from feelings. And when parents are desperately wanting to listen and, you know, saying, but I really want to listen to their feelings. And so often it is these really early experiences that we've had that are showing up and that the baby's really picking up on. So I think your work is so vital as well, not only for, for both, but of course, any stage of life, but also for parenting. Mm. And, and that's what I've loved about your offerings too, Marion. Like there's been different meditations and things that I've experienced with you over the years of, you know, giving out either meeting the inner mother and father, which I believe is in part of the Marion method, 
yeah, meeting those needs inside of ourselves so that we have the capacity to give, so that we have the capacity to listen or to hold a child who is, you know, deeply expressing because it, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard when you are being activated yourself. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that we do with the birth into being method is that further along, we also do stuff around teenage life and like acceptance of your sexuality and things like that. And that's also another incredible edge. So in my own personal experience, having done that work, doing that healing work really on my own emerging sexuality really helped me when my beautiful children started to emerge as sexual beings and it really helped me to be able to embrace this new level of parenting of like you know I used to jokingly sing the mantra sex is natural sex is good not everybody does it but everybody should Oh, that's a really, that's a 90s song for you, isn't it? I, I think that's 80s, actually. It was the 80s, actually, I was going to say, because I was George Michael. 68. Oh, it was George Michael. I went to see him in concert. That was amazing. Yeah. Yes, that's a yeah. great song. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like to be able to have those necessary conversations with your kids, to be like completely accepting of whatever questions they bring, all that fun stuff of traversing that edge of of doing something that you've never done before you know parenting a child in that space is really a lot easier if you've done that work on yourself so yeah absolutely yeah I'm remembering was it James Prescott it was back in the day when I used to be writing for Kindred magazine and there was lots of I think it was his work do you remember him and he did that those studies on uh, collating all the studies from indigenous cultures and looking at the relationship between I think it was lots and lots of contacts body contact with babies and small children and then the relationship to sexuality or beliefs about sexuality in the teenage years and how that related to violence I believe there was a whole study was that was that him anyway I just I don't remember the name but that sounds very juicy so, research. So, you know, all these things so related, aren't they? Mm. It's all, everything's so deeply interconnected, isn't it? And it's like, in, as we say, in this culture, when we don't realise that changing one thing has these effects on everything else and when we start putting them back in to actually see what starts knitting back together again or weaving back together again. Yeah, it'll be interesting in 50 years' time or 100 years' time to kind of look back on these cultural shifts yes. and say, like, and this is when this changed. Yes. You know, like like what I said before about the photographs of, like, Lenart Nielsen's photographs of the babies in utero and how that changed consciousness around babies and the pictures of the earth from the moon, how that changed our ecological viewpoint. I wonder... I wonder what we'll say in a hundred years' time. <laughs> yes, of course, and and what we were talking about before pressing record as well, like for us seeing over the past couple of decades the shifts in the things that we've been passionate about. So really seeing, you talked about the shift in EC and and also in aware parenting and understanding of the effects of birth. Back twenty years ago, all of these things were very 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 niche. When they even talking about trauma back then was just so. <laughs> these were really niche things. Whereas now. Trauma is such a buzzword, isn't it? And I just see in terms of the openness to aware parenting, for example, it's so completely different to it was even just 20 years ago. So 
Very exciting, isn't it? And I, I have a sense, I wonder if you do too, that these things are really exponential, like really understanding the effects of birth and a whole time in utero and that babies are so exquisitely sensitive and being deeply affected by everything. It's just so vital, isn't it, for that to be really become mainstream knowledge. Absolutely. And, you know, the ecological imperative that we have now to shift our collective consciousness is so extreme that maybe that will help us to to bring in these changes. There's not very many people talking about the experience of babies connected to this ecological imperative, but I see it as completely enmeshed because if we can bring babies into the world feeling safe, connected, at ease, with themselves and each other, then we can have collective change. You know, like the era of the sort of lone environmentalist is past. We need change en masse. We need, you know, collective movement in in such numbers that that means we need to really be able to work together. And that requires trust. Yes. yes. Back to the birth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I love that because I also see that absolute interconnectedness. And that's how I see it in my work. That's why I talk about the disconnected domination culture, because I see that the primary thing that the DDC means, the disconnected domination culture, to thrive as it is and has been is that initial disconnection. So that's disconnection of mothers from babies, disconnection of babies from their own feelings and needs, all the disconnections that happen that is required in order for domination to happen. And so to me, this work that we're both doing around those two elements, isn't it? It's the, the reconnection and the power, reconnecting with the deep power that we have as parents as individuals to actually bring deep healing in our own unique way but it's so important and powerful isn't it to come together from that unique healing place absolutely absolutely and I have hope you know when I look at yourself for example and the way that you have tirelessly continued to educate and share and work with groups of people. I've been in a few of your group containers over the years. The level of empathy and acknowledgement that you offer to parents and to know that each one of those parents goes out to their families, their school communities or their homeschooling communities, their, their work networks, and brings this this consciousness and awareness in like it's fabulous so I have hope I I think you know with people who are as passionate as yourself and in some ways myself as well I feel like I'm just hitting my stride now we're not just going to be satisfied with anything less than no. complete and utter shift in consciousness yeah we're all in aren't we and when I hear you say that but I also have that sense I've only just started really and similar the tireless work that you've been doing over the past couple of decades and and that exponential growth and all of those people that you've reached it's incredibly powerful isn't it and to know really I'm sure you see it all the time too you think about all the people who've watched Elena's original video and you say millions of people it's very exciting isn't it and I think so necessary I'm also really willing for things to change I'm just not willing for anything less than that so. 
Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yummy. So, so yummy. Mm. Ah, I wonder where you wanted to go from here. I know we had a few notes that we were wanting to go over. Did you want to talk about what happens when babies don't heal from their birth? So related to your work and aware parenting as well. Sure. What happens when babies don't heal from their birth? <laughs> I mean, I know we both see this clearly, but how do you see things? Well, when babies don't heal from their births, when they're not lucky enough to have been born into a family with that level of awareness, it can show up in all sorts of ways throughout their life. So I gave the example before of the generational imprints that can perpetuate. And that happens like from the ways that people share about birth, the different ways that sort of family cultures develop around, you know, this is the way that women in our family give birth. This is the way that this happens. You know, you see cycles continuing in families and across generations. And we see people not stepping into the fullness of themselves to if if there's a violation of trust or safety in those early moments of life, whether that's in utero or in birth or in the early years of development, uh, that is deeply inhibiting in relationships, in friendships, in work situations, in artistic expression. You know, it manifests as things like comfort eating, which then goes on to become illness. It's almost like how doesn't it affect people, really? For every person that is experiencing some level of internal suffering, we can trace that back to their birth. Like I, I truly believe that. Given enough time and space and safety for that person to express themselves, we will find that the root of their suffering lies in their early life experiences and relationships. So, yeah, I, I think it's huge. Yes. Uh, and yeah. I, I, yeah, and I see it all the time in my work with people who are sometimes in their 60s or 70s, you know, and looking to heal the early imprints of life. And all the way back down to I have a, a lovely 19-year-old coming to my next workshop. Both of her parents are already birth into being facilitators. So she's been deeply touched by the work already. And now that she's 19, she's ready to come and explore for herself. So that's pretty exciting. It's not often that I have people so young. But, yeah, and in aware parenting, you know, we're lucky to be given the opportunity to heal some of those early life imprints and wounds much earlier to save that experience of disconnection extending on into life. I think it's incredible to be able to really be with a baby's feelings and let them express, let them find their way home to, to the feelings of safety and trust that are their birthright. Oh, my gosh. So beautiful, isn't it? And I can really attest to what you said as well in terms of those effects and all the things you were going through. And I'd say for the first at least two to three decades of my life, so many ways that, as you heard and I've already shared with you, the ways my birth has showed up. And 
over the more recent decades, just seeing as more and more of those drift away and how the yeah, trust and safety and how that affects every single area of my life now. So I just really want to attest to what you're talking about just in my own experience, as well as the thousands of people you've worked with. So Yeah, totally. And I also, like, if we zoom out from that, so we zoom out from the individual's experience and look at our collective modus operandi which is what you address with the disconnection domination culture it's it's absolutely enormous to think that and that's where I feel like again bringing it back to the ecological perspective the only way that we can damage the earth knowingly and willfully damage the earth is when we're completely disconnected Oh, yes, Nicole, I have exactly the same thought. And all the people that all the organizations, the big, all the big, <laughs> big tech, multinationals, big, and all of them, all that they're doing in those power over ways that that can also exactly power over can only come from being deeply disconnected. If we do not feel deeply connected to ourselves, and I'm just repeating what you said in our bodies, we can easily use power over to create huge suffering for whether it's children babies animals rainforests whatever it is because we don't feel our own feelings our own connections I'm just I have a big yes that's exactly how I see it I'm so with you on that yeah there's a birth into being facilitator who is in Luxembourg who has the impulse to take our work into the corporate world so that's a little bit exciting and I'm going to be watching with great interest well, as that uh, unfolds. Yes. But I also, I, I would love to bring in, so I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Mia Califf. She's mm. a Canadian writer. Um, she wrote a book called The Secret Life of Babies, How Our Pre-Birth and Birth Experiences Shape Our World. And there is a quote in her book. There's quite a few pages of it where she's conjuring up what would our world look like if all children entered in safety and love and through gentle birth practices and she describes it as the watery world of conception what might it be like if all children entered the watery world of conception accompanied by the palpable certainty that they were wanted and had been prepared for that they matter to their parents who have through no small effort, done their best to repair their own imprinting and differentiated their identities from objects in the family field. They matter to their parents' community and to the world and to the surrounding cultural systems. And shall I go on with this quote? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Further down, she says, All adults act as stewards of every child, present and future. Babies in the womb and outside the womb and children are regarded as emissaries of an emergent world and integral interpreters of the needs of the planet and all inhabitants. Each member of the human race knows through his or her own corporeal experience what it is to matter and be wanted. Ah, oh, big sigh of relief. So beautiful. The Secret Life of Babies by Mia Califf. 
Mm, we should invite her on the podcast. Yes, I'm going to make note of that. I cannot believe I didn't know about that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Yeah, I think she's a, a cranio person oh, as well. Oh, yummy. Yes, I've got Shelley Clark coming on next week. She's an aware parenting instructor and craniosacrotherapist. I'm very excited about that conversation mm. too. But yeah, that's that's an important part of the equation for me is to actually yeah. imagine Yes. What do what does our world look like when we've got there? Yes. When all the babies come in feeling loved and safe. When all of us have addressed these early imprints and and old wounds. When we are able to hold each other with love and care and all the children. You know, what does that look like? What can we achieve as a yes. as a collective? And I don't mean achieve in any, you know, kind of doing sense, but what what is our levels of bliss and happiness? <laughs> you know, how are we able to protect our earth? Do we even need have anything to protect her from if mm. if we are all taking care? It's a beautiful vision, isn't it? Yes. And I think it is so essential. I'm so with you about really looking to what we want and what in my language and what we're willing for, because it can be so easy, can't it, to keep focusing on what we're seeing and the pain. And of course that's necessary to feel the feelings, to feel the grief and the mourning and the rage, but also to yeah, to to look forward as well. It's vital. Yeah. And I really think the key is through the healing work because or the healing path, I should say. I don't I use work a lot and I don't want it to call it work, actually. Yeah, I hear you, but, but do you know what? I'm the same, but I looked it up a, a while back and the I don't like anything that's got origins of Latin often because of the Romans and the whole DDC that started, well, it didn't start there. But anyway, but that was an, it's an old English word. I think W-O-R-C, I think originally it's actually quite yummy. And ever since I looked that up, I thought that's the, that's the meaning I'm using when I use the word work. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, I'll look it up too so that I can feel better about it every time it slips out of my mouth. <laughs> but I really do feel like that the the way forward is through the healing path because so I have lived on community for over 20 years and, you know, very intentional community, lots of fabulous goals and aspirations. But the truth of it is that, and, and so because of living there, I'm also deeply interested in community as a evolutionary imperative as an ecological solution to overconsumption and so on. So I've done a lot of research and I've been in lots of different communities. And the bottom line is that, you know, we're all actually human. And so we sometimes encounter more difficulties living in community than elsewhere. And, you know, wherever you go, people bring their stuff and so the answer is to deal with our stuff, not to just put ourselves into situations that look good on the surface or that are aspiring to something because we don't actually have the blueprint for living in that level of connection. You know, shared decision-making around like land care and, and shared needs is one of the hardest things that humans can do at this point in our journey. And if we are going to get that right, and I do believe it ticks a lot of boxes in being a more sustainable way to live, we need to do the inner work. Yes. 
yeah, that's my personal experience of it. And, you know, I still, I'm still a total communard at heart, but we need to do the work at the same time, myself included. Absolutely. It's vital, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm, yum, yum, yum. I'm going back to a lovely list that you, that you created. What, what else pops out at you? Mm, what about if we don't know about our birth and no longer have any way of finding out what actually happened? Does this mean we won't be able to heal? Um, do you want to share sure. that with so when when people come to the birth into being work, not all of them have any actual information about how they physically entered the world, how they, you know, what their biological story was, you know, whether they their parents are no longer with them or they were adopted or they don't actually have that information. And they wonder, you know, does this mean that I can't heal from those early life experiences. And I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that you can still work on expanding your imprint of safety and love and connection uh, without knowing why it was disconnected. So there are a lot of innate longings that we have as mammals, actually, that just through looking at our culture and the different cultural paradigms that most of us have moved through in the Western world, that we're not met. You know, a lot of people were, like yourself, separated at birth, some for longer periods, some for shorter periods, others were separated in other ways. Uh, one of my own personal things that I've had to deal with was a slight habit of longing. Why did I try to downturn that? A habit of longing, not slight. <laughs> Enough that I recognised it by my early 20s and kind of went, you know, this is really obvious. I used to go for guys that weren't interested in me. Uh, I had an, a sort of distant relationship with my father for some of my childhood and that set up an, a pattern and an imprint that I replicated again and again and again. Uh, in various ways, not just in romantic relationships, but in other types of relationship or even just the habit of wanting. And so we can look at those habits and patterns and, and replicated behaviours to see, well, where do I need, where are my gaps? Where can I feed myself? If I have a, long, a habit of longing, how can I give myself experiences of being satiated, of feeling whole? And if those experiences need to be contrived to begin with, where you can give it to yourself with a therapist, facilitator in a group setting, and group settings are amazing for doing inner work because our trauma doesn't happen alone and so therefore being in a group shared situation, if there is a level of safety and trust for you in that, can be very, very healing. Uh, and, yeah, you can give yourself what you need in a slightly contrived, for want of a better word, way so that you can open up your nervous system and increase your capacity for feeling, for example, full, satiated, content, 
Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that's that's my line on whether or not you need to know what happened to you in order to heal from it. I I don't believe that you need to know. Our brains love to know, but our heart can accept love regardless. Oh, what a beautiful quote. Our brains need to know, but our hearts can accept love regardless. I love that so much. I should write it down. Yes, that's beautiful. (laughs) I can can send you the transcript. (laughs) And also, if you heard that part with Rome and I sharing as well, we both had very, very strong longing themes, especially in my teenage years and early 20s. It was a big thing, so... Yeah. Oh, look, one of the puppies is agreeing. Yes, yes. <laughs> Fulfillment is so much more enjoyable. I would love to say that. Mm. Definitely. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I strongly feel that with the awareness of aware parenting perspectives, the beautiful Marian method that you've developed with the birth into being, method and philosophy I 100% believe that we have the ability to gift ourselves and future generations with a blueprint of being totally safe deeply connected full of potential and you know alive with possibility Um, I think that as a species we we have that ability to consciously evolve and to meet the challenges of our times of living in full awareness of this interconnection and repair the mess uh, and the damage that we've done to ourselves as a species and our beautiful planet. Oh, my gosh. I love so many of your words. Alive with possibility. That jumps out as well. It's so gorgeous. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. <sighs> um, is there anything else that you want to share or what you would like people to know about the, the gorgeous work that you facilitate all around the world? Yeah, I I would like to let people know that the group containers that we offer are unique. I've I've done a lot of healing work in various modalities and I've always been a seeker, so right from my early 20s I've been a you know, workshoppy person. I've done plenty of different things and in the birth into being method, one of the things that we do that is truly unique is 10 day workshops. And it is a big investment of time and energy. It's a big commitment to take that level of time out from your life. And often it does involve international travel because we can't do them everywhere. Uh, But it is so worth it. So I did my first 10-day workshop in 2010 and it completely changed my life. I would never have imagined myself doing podcasts like this or holding groups or, no, it completely changed my relationship with my children and my capacity for being the parent that I wanted to be, even though I wasn't parented that way. I am in a relationship of 23 years which is like a miracle. I also, when I think back to my early life self and the wounds that I was walking around with uh, that were often weeping, uh, I I don't think I 
could have had the capacity to to hold this relationship and to sort of move and flow with all that it has brung into my life. I am so impressed with myself that I have been able to pull this off and, and more in love with my man than I ever was, which is very exciting as we reach this part of our life where the children are not needing us quite so much. So it's like we get to have all the fun that we had together in the early years uh, again. Uh, not that we didn't have fun in between as a family, but, you know, <laughs> let's be realistic. There's a lot of hard work too. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I want to share about Birth Into Being is that it's potentially life-changing to give yourself the gifts of being completely loved and held and to really work with those imprints. And the, the in-person residential situation that we were unable to do for the last few years and now we're back uh, is just absolutely game-changing. So, yeah, I would love to invite anyone that is interested in the things that I've shared during this podcast to to look up Birth Into Being and check out our workshops, check out what we're offering and, and see if you can get yourself to one of those deep immersions at some stage. Beautiful. And you have got one coming up fairly soon, haven't you? Do you still have places for, for that one? I do. That's July 25th in Germany. That's for 2023. And then next year in 2024, we are going to be in Portugal from the end of March through till the middle of April. And yeah. that's an exciting workshop because we have the entire mountaintop venue to ourselves. And there's like beautiful pools and organic gardens and the most spectacular workshop spaces, all with incredible views. And there'll be no other workshops happening at the same time. So it's just our little group. And yeah, I'm very excited to be offering that. And I more and more, I'm bringing deep ecology stuff into my work. As you would have noticed, I'm, I'm very much zooming out into this ecological perspective and understanding that everything that we do to heal as individuals has an impact on our planet and the time is yesterday <laughs> yes 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 i so yeah. agree love what you're doing that sounds exquisite wow mm. portugal portugal 2024 mm. so and for people who uh, you know many listeners have younger children here and so those things might not be so accessible what are things people can do with you that are either online or one-on-one -on -one or those kinds of things. Yeah. Happy to share about that as well. Yeah, so I have two online courses that are currently set to uh, your own divine timing, which is Rewrite Your Story, which is for general exploration of your imprints, and With Ease and Grace, which is for people who are approaching conception or are already pregnant and approaching birth. And they're both, yeah, self-paced online courses. I am expecting to do a live round of Rewrite Your Story towards the end of 23. Uh, I haven't started taking bookings or anything for that just yet. And then I also offer online sessions, either one-offs or packages where people can work with me over a period of weeks or months to address the different things that are coming up either in their pregnancy journey or in their parenting journey in their life. There's a lot of overlap. 
it's it feels kind of strange to talk just about a pregnancy journey because the things that we deal with are their early life stuff so yeah Nicole I love your work and I remember when you was that that was the course that you were creating back then do you remember when we were connecting about you creating your first online course yep it would have been it's had many iterations I've left the name the same but it's had many iterations of I did I ran it live many times before I said okay I'm gonna just set that to evergreen for now then I am looking forward to running it live again yeah, so yummy. So people can find out about all your offerings all on your website? Yes, on birthintobeing.com. Birthintobeing.com, beautiful. And birthintobeing.com.au is at the moment specifically addressing preconception and pregnant people. So beautiful. Yeah. Is there something that you'd love to say to people who have been listening, like one thing that you would just love? Oh, parents and all parents to be to really know what would you love to say would you really love them to hear it's never too late it's never too late to heal your imprints of early life to be able to parent yourself and your babies in the way that your heart is longing to And it's probably one of the most important things that we can do. Who cares about the dishes? I love that. I so agree. Who cares about the dishes? If there's anything that I regret from my years when the children were younger is that I got stressed out about things that really, truly did not matter. And yeah if I could do it again I would either get help with the domestics or just not take them so seriously and and just yeah give myself more over into cultivating that strong sense of love and calm and connection because you know getting tied up in in details is pointless you know, domestic details I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've got some puppies playing in the background absolutely blissfully. I don't know if you can hear that. Just totally agreeing with you. I, I'm so with you. It's so easy, isn't it? When we're immersed in those days with younger younger children to to actually, yeah, to get waylaid with things that really in the longer term, they won't be the things that we're remembering. It's It's so, so important, isn't it? So I love that you've shared that anything else that you would really love to share that you haven't said before before we finish up together no just thank you thank you so much marianne for the work that you're doing and the awareness that you're bringing i really respect and admire the the diligence and dedication that you've shown and that you're continuing to show and no sign of abating so um yeah thank you Thank you so much. And you've been an inspiration over the years um, with all that you've managed to achieve. And I cannot wait to read your books. <laughs> thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, will you have one? You've got one in the pipeline as well down the track? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think if I, my next big project, I would love to make that film yes. about why birth matters. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's still alive in me. I just don't actually do anything about it, but it's still gestating. Yeah. Do you know what you said? You talked about it being that, what did you talk about? The long, the long gestation or something like that. And I just really trust, you know, I think that's so much from all the inner work I've done around birthing and timing is I really trust the tiny things. My books have been gestating for two decades, really. And I just, you know, when they come and it's the perfect timing, it's so beautiful, isn't it? So I, mm. I so trust that and so look forward to seeing that. And I want to say thank you to you. Thank you for all that you're doing. I think it's so incredibly beautiful and I just really appreciate you and I'm excited to see what's going to happen as well in years to come as this just becomes more and more mainstream Mm. yeah I look forward to you know maybe when we're 90 or so we can have a chat and reflect and I feel yeah that whole idea of being the change that you want to see in the world so I think we've both done that with our parenting practices and you know the level of dedication that we've given to raising our families uh and then also the holding of other people and groups and individuals that we've worked with but yeah i i look forward to being able to reflect just like i can with the nappy free movement and elimination communication movement i can look back and say i'm really proud that i was a part of that wave And I'm sure that both of us can do that in the future around this level of awareness and consciousness of the importance of birth. That would burn on. (laughs) Yes. I'll meet you back here in 2063. (laughs) Yeah. That was quick maths. I was was working out whilst you were talking. (laughs) Wonderful. It's a date. Great. Thank you so much, lovely. So, so much love to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening. And as always, if this helped you connect with feelings, please reach out for support. Please reach out to Nicole and just sending you so much love. <laughs>